G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. Today's sermon is the fifth in our Light and Love series and it focuses on 1 John chapter 4 and it's entitled, Because God Loved You. We hope you enjoy the sermon. God bless. The first reading is from 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits you see, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh has from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we all have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister.
Well, friends, uh, 10 years ago, uh, Zoe and I were married at St. Mary's Kangaroo Point. The reading that day came from 1 John 4, the passage we're looking at today. It was such a formative text for us in our understanding of love and what love looks like in action that we had 1 John 4.16 engraved on the inside of our rings. 1 John 4.16 says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that hasn't just inspired two imperfect people to stay married to one another, but a chapter of the Word of God that has helped Christians love and thrive for 2,000 years. Today we're going to learn to test the spirits, we're going to see what love is, and we're going to see what love does. So as we've seen in the past few weeks, John's two concerns with this letter are light and love. He's trying to unify a divided people who have just had a bit of of a church schism. They've just had a bit of a church barney. And John is trying to hold things together. He's focused on shedding light into a fairly loveless and dark situation And he's trying to reassure the remaining people that they're doing the right thing. But all of a sudden, he takes a strange change of tack. And he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, why would John need to tell us about testing spirits? Well, it would seem that some have left the church And they're trying to claim special spiritual authority. Perhaps they're claiming that they have direct access to God. Or to having some far out spiritual experiences that John's community aren't having. Here we're being given a vital Christian principle that is as relevant as it was 2,000 years ago. Just because someone says that they hear directly from God, it doesn't mean that it's God who's talking to them. In 1981, a charismatic and driven pastor moved into a small church community. He was a diligent student of the Bible and a musician who drew people into the community. He could make people laugh, he could make them cry, and he could build up people. He claimed direct access to God. And he built the community, not just in numbers, but financially. He regularly said that he'd heard from God. And in 1983, he claimed the gift of prophecy. He called himself a prophet. One day, he told everyone that God had told him to marry the widow of a former leader in that community. And children were born through many relationships that he had. Things seemed to be going from strength to strength. But in 1993, the Bureau of Tobacco and Firearms surrounded David Koresh's Waco compound, beginning a 51-day siege, which resulted in the deaths of law enforcement officers, David's followers, men, women, and children. David Koresh may have claimed to have heard from spirits, but it definitely wasn't God. 
John tells Christians then, and Christians now, how crucial it is that we test the spirits. He says in verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It seems that John's opponents are particularly teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he wasn't a real person, that he was just a spirit. Now, is this the only criteria we can check false spirits by? No. Ultimately, we are to check what people believe God is saying to them based on the apostles' teaching. Jesus' closest followers. John was one of Jesus' closest and most beloved friends. And he wrote five books of the Bible for us so that we could test the spirits based on what the Bible teaches. If someone says something that they claim comes from God, we need to check that against Scripture. If it contradicts the original teachings of Jesus and His chosen apostles, it's out. If it does, and if it lines up with Scripture, then we need to pray about it in community. But ultimately, we are to test every spiritual idea against the Word of God. The people in Waco, they weren't questioning David. They weren't lining up what he was saying against the Word of God. They were just trusting it implicitly, based on his charisma. This, this, friends, is why I encourage you to bring a Bible to church every Sunday. It's not just helpful to get the most out of the sermon, but it's also a good way to check what the preacher is saying against the truth. If what the preacher is saying contradicts the word of Scripture, then discard it. And if what the preacher is saying is true, it'll be because it lines up with the Bible. John reminds us that when we feel inferior to people who claim to have some miraculous special insight, we need to remember that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The whole book of 1 John is beautifully Trinitarian and recognizes God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as all being truly God. And so we read things like in John 1 John 4.4, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. Friend, at your baptism, God filled you with the Holy Spirit because you or your sponsors asked Him to. God is a good Father who only gives good gifts. And He never holds back His Holy Spirit from people who ask Him. And so we can ask every day, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I might discern how to live. There is no spiritual power greater than the Holy Spirit. One while people may claim that God has told them this or that, if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, which the Holy Spirit inspired, and it doesn't sound good to God's Spirit-filled people working together as the body of Christ to discern what God is saying to our community right here today, it's not worth your time. So if that's how we detest the spirits, 
and to line up God's love, what is love? After his commentary on testing spirits, John returns to his main theme, love. He writes in 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John doesn't want to divide a community through testing. Instead, he wants to unite it. Here we see that not only is God loving, but love comes from God. In fact, God is love. Now, it's important to note here that God is love, but love is not God. What do I mean by that? Well, often we define love by our own set of standards. Love is whatever I want it to be. And if love is God, then whatever I define as love, well, well that's God. Google defines love as an intense feeling of affection or a great interest in something. God isn't, an isn't just an intense affection or an interest in something. God is a person. God is love. When I put myself at the center of my definition of who God is and what love is, love becomes an idol and a prison rather than a liberating relationship. Self-love, me loving myself, is the antithesis of true love. If I love myself in isolation without any regard for the people around me, I become a smaller, more bitter, more loveless person. But notice, this isn't what John is saying. Instead, he puts God at the center of his definition of love. God is love. And so John writes in 1 John 4.10, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, the cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest act of self-giving love in all of existence. Jesus came down to earth from heaven, was born into obscurity, raised under suspicion, ministered to people who bullied him, and was crucified by those who rejected him. Why? Love. Love, that's why. Even on the cross, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As Jesus dies in agony, he looks down on John, and you can see it illustrated in our beautiful John window over there. Um, that stained glass window depicts this scene, and it's particularly fitting for Mother's Day. As he's dying in agony, all he can think about is other people, and so he looks down at his mother and his disciple John, who wrote this book, and he sa says, Mother... Behold your son. And son, behold your mother. He gives his mother a son to love. And he gives his mother a son to care for her. While John's critics are putting themselves and their teachings at the center of their existence, John puts Jesus in his rightful place, at the very definition of love itself. As John defines what love looks like, he encourages us to love one another. 
particularly here, he's talking about other believers. Love for us shouldn't be something we need to conjure up in ourselves. That's exhausting. Instead, we read, since God loved us so much, we also want to, must, ought to love one another. If love flows from God, the unlimited spring of life, light, and love, then our job is just to let it flow. As we saw last week, this will manifest itself in all sorts of ways. It means noticing someone new in church and sitting with them and talking them through the way we do church. It may mean staying at work a little bit longer to show your boss or your colleagues the love of God. It may mean coming to church when you've got a million other things to do and don't feel up to it. But you do so because you know your sisters and brothers who come here will be discouraged if they don't see you. The amazing thing about sharing God's love is that as we do, people come to experience God and the fullness of love. Um, what love does? No. It says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of taking a group of uh, sons of prisoners to a camp at Emu Gully. On the way to the camp, the boys threw rubbish out of the window, they wolf-whistled at girls, and they mooned other drivers. It was a pretty wild bus ride. But throughout the camp, the leaders committed to loving the campers as God had loved them in thought, word, and deed. And so on the bus home, the boys sang songs, they read their Bibles, and they exchanged phone details so they could keep in touch with one another and support one another. Friends, a few short days of experiencing God's love manifested God's love in those boys' lives. Imagine what a lifetime of contact with God's love can do. And this is what love does. It changes us from the inside out and reveals God to the world. Love is as much a sign of Christian authenticity as righteousness. But if you're worried that you don't pass muster, John has good news for you. He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. As we said before, John believes in the Trinity. He knows God as a loving relationship. One substance, three essence, and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three love one another, support one another, lift one another up, and share in this eternal relationship of love. And do you know what, friends? This morning, they are inviting you into that relationship. They are inviting you into that love. The Father loved the world so much that he sent Jesus into the world to save it. Jesus is ruling and reigning with the Father right now, but he came down into our existence to show us how to live and how to love. Before he ascended into heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit. And as we said earlier, the Holy Spirit is the person of God who lives in our hearts 
and empowers us to love others and love God. The Holy Spirit unites us with our spirit. And the more we ask Him, the more we let Him call the shots in our lives, the more we will love God and the more we will love those around us. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Now while John's disciples had much to fear, conflict and toxicity from within their community and persecution from outside, John reminds us of what God's love does when we think about fear. He says, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. John's thought patterns work in spirals, again and again repeating the same themes until they work their way down into our souls. As we saw last week, God's love frees us up to love others, and we don't need to fear the future because we have the love of God in our hearts. If we are in awe and in love with God, then the unknown, the future, all the fears that people say that we're meant to be afraid of and the things we actually should be afraid of can melt away. John Newton wrote, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." Friends, if you live a life dominated by fear, then again there is good news. God's love drives out that fear and helps us to live free. If you know Jesus, if you love him, you can ask him to drive those fears away and let him do the work. The work, the challenge for us from God's word today comes in the closing verses of this chapter. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Notice this is a family type love. You may not be nice to your brothers and sisters. You may not have warm fuzzy feelings towards your brothers and sisters every single day. But you love them. This is the type of love that God is calling to us. It's a verse that hits our conscience like a sledgehammer. I know I struggle with my temper and I often feel resent, resentment and bitterness towards people. But this isn't something that I can just put down to biology or circumstance and let it rule my life. Instead, I've got to fight it. Here John tells us that this is the fight of our lives. Are we going to choose love or something else? There's a story about an old Cherokee Indian teaching his grandson about life. He says to the boy, a fight is going on inside me. It's a terrible fight and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He has anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, 
inferiority, lies, pride, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And then he says to his grandson, the fight is going on inside you and inside every single other person. The grandson thinks for a moment and he asks his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Friends, this is what John is calling us to. Will we test the spirits to make sure that they are the Spirit of God and the love of God guiding our lives? Will we let God define who love is and what love is? And will we devote our energy to our fears, our lusts, our hatred? Or will we devote our lives to God and let His Spirit change us from the inside out? May everything you do be done because God loved you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.